0: If you have your Bibles this morning, go with me to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. I want to talk to you about taking off the grave clothes. I could, for a subtitle, simply title this, Loose Him and Let Him Go Free. John chapter 11, verse 38, if you dare say amen. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone, Martha. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Loose him and let him go. In John chapter 11, John the beloved disciple records an eyewitness account of the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. This passage of scripture that I read to you shows that the God we serve specializes in impossible situations. I love the words of the angel to Mary in Luke 1 says for with God nothing will be impossible. This is a powerful demonstration of God's miraculous power in the New Testament. They are recorded instances. Three, as a matter of fact, recorded instances of Jesus raising the dead in the gospel. In Luke chapter 7, verse 11 through 15, Jesus raised the son of the widow of Nain from the dead. Let's pick up the story in Luke seven fourteen. Then he came and touched the open coffin. And those who carried him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he presented him to his mother. In Luke chapter 8, verses 49 through 56, Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. Let's pick up the story in Luke 7, I'm sorry, in Luke 8, verse 54 and 55. Then he put them all outside took her by the hand, and called, saying, Little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned, and she arose immediately, and he commanded that she be given something to eat. And then in John chapter 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. You see, Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, were very close to Jesus. And he often stayed at their home in Bethany when he would visit Jerusalem. In John eleven five, it says that Jesus loved Martha and her sister, and Lazarus. And we learn in John 11 that Lazarus had become sick, and his two sisters sent for Jesus. But before Jesus could respond, Lazarus died. But when Jesus arrived in Bethany, Lazarus had been in the grave for four days. And when he arrived, it looked like it was over. Mary, Martha, and his disciples all thought that the Lord was late. But God is, matter of fact, he's never late. He's rarely early. You know, we used to sing a song years ago, he's an on-time God. Yes, he is. He may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. He's rarely early, but he's never late. Some in the sanctuary today have been waiting for a long time for the fulfillment of prophetic promises that you've carried. And you've even thought about giving up on those promises. You've even believed that the thing you believe has died and you might as well bury it and just move on. And it's decaying and like Lazarus, it's carrying the stench of death. But I've come to tell you that God is always on time. You may think he's late. You may look like it's over. But it's not over until the God we serve and love says it's over. Amen? He's an on time God. Yes, he is. So he's always on time. And it could be. The reason that God wakes the way he does is that he wants to give you a miracle of resurrection where he alone will get the glory. Listen to the words of Martha in John eleven twenty one. 21. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But listen to his answer in John eleven twenty five. 25. He don't say, you know, I'm sorry that I was late. I'm sorry that I got delayed. I'm sorry that I got stuck in traffic. It was a heavy day. I'm sorry that that I I couldn't catch my plane on time. I couldn't make that connection. Listen to what he says in verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. He declares his resurrection power right in the face of death, right in the midst of their grief and their hardship and their heartbreak. The Lord says, I am. I am the resurrection and the life, glory. How do I know? Well, there's three instances in the New Testament where he said to death, death, you gotta turn loose in the name of the Lord. And death had to turn loose. You see, when Jesus stepped into this graveyard, he commanded them to roll the stone away. And after he prayed and he talked to the father and remember what he said? He said, Lord, you always hear me, but I'm gonna say this for their benefit so that you will, they will know that you have sent me. And the Bible said he cried out with a loud voice. I love that. And he said, Lazarus, come forth. He addressed Lazarus personally. Several reasons. Number one, God knows you personally, and he will address your need personally. God's not up in heaven and just looking over a sea of humanity and saying, what was their name again? We do that. We can't remember names. But he says, Will, Zach, Ray. He addresses us personally. Lazarus, come forth. He's a personal God. The Lord is my shepherd. That's written with a personal pronoun so that we can make it personal. It's not the Lord was David's shepherd, the Lord's the psalmist's shepherd, the Lord's Israel's shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, hallelujah. He's a personal Lord. So he addressed personally. Number two, he said Lazarus, come forth because he's the resurrection and the life. He carries the power of resurrection. If he'd have just stepped in there and haphazardly said, come forth, that whole graveyard would have gotten up. How do I know that? Well, when he cried, it is finished. The Bible said those who had died got up and went around Jerusalem. Why? Because the power of resurrection touched the grave. And when the power of resurrection touches the grave, the dead have to get up. Third, he called his name because John 10, 4 says, my sheep know my voice. How many of you in this room today have have developed the discipline of hearing the voice of God? How many of you know the voice of the great shepherd? Do you know more than any other command, it says, He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit's saying to the church? Verse 44 is where I want to take my text today. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. How many of you in this room have experienced salvation? Say amen. Do you know it's possible to be saved yet continue? to wear grave clothes? It's possible to come into the kingdom of God yet still live in bondage? I've come this morning to tell you that Jesus came so that you could be completely and totally free from every bondage. It's time this morning to take off the grave clothes that have kept us in bondage. Many in the body of Christ today are entangled in a yoke of bondage. But I can hear the voice of our Savior crying with a loud voice, saying, come forth from the grave. And then he's saying, loose him and let him go free. So for the next few moments this morning, I'd like to talk to you about removing the grave clothes and experiencing the glorious liberty of being free through the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, I want you to note that he was bound hand and foot. Galatians 5.1 says, stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. In John chapter 8, verse 32, it says, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Before we were saved, we were abiding in spiritual death. The Lord Jesus Christ stood... Over our grave and commanded us to live. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, verse 1, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. We learn in Ephesians 2 5 that we were dead in our sins before we met the Lord Jesus Christ. We were separated from God. We were aliens and strangers. And we learn in 1 Peter 2 10 that we were not a people and we had not received. Mercy. When Jesus came by our grave, we were raised in newness of life. He stood over your grave. He called your name and He said, Come forth out of your sinful condition. Come forth out of your separation from my Father. Be restored into relationship with me. For I have died for you. I am your Savior, and now you're my child. Somebody ought to give God praise right there. We were not a people, but we had not received mercy. Some of you in this church today have been saved. You've experienced a new birth, but you're still wearing grave clothes. I've come by this morning to tell you it's time to be free. It's time to put off the grave clothes. It's time to forsake the thing that hinders you. In John 11:44, 44, it reads, and he was bound hand and foot. What does bondage do to a believer? Well, I want you to note that he's out of the grave. He's been resurrected, but he's still bound hand and foot. Bondage hinders our walk with God. Bondage keeps us from the fullness of God's blessing. Why is it important for the believer to live in total freedom? because bondage keeps you tied to your sin it enslaves you it ensnares you listen to the words of jesus in john 8 34 whoever commits sin is a slave of sin in john eleven forty four, 44 the bible reveals lazarus feet were bound feet in the bible represent our christian walk in second Corinthians 5 7 it says we walk by faith in galatians 5 16 we walk in the spirit we're living in the last days The Lord is coming back for his church. What kind of church is he coming back to receive to himself? He's coming back, according to Ephesians 5, 27, to a church, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing that it should be holy and without blemish. God has called us to be a glorious church without spot, without wrinkle, or without blemish. We're to be dead to sin. Our flesh must be crucified, put to death with Christ, that we may be raised in newness of life. When we continue in besetting sins, live according to the desires of the flesh, it hinders our Christian walk and it impedes our spiritual progress. Our growth is hindered and stunted. And in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Psalms 37, 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Do your steps, your Christian walk, bring pleasure to the Lord Jesus Christ, and does he delight in your way? Not only were his feet bound, but the scriptures also tell us that his hands were bound. Hands in the word of God represent our worship and our work. God is not pleased with hands that have been involved in sin and disobedience. He will not receive worship when we lift up hands that are stained with blood. He lift up hands in deceit and we try to deceive ourselves and we try to live a life of deception. But the Bible says in Psalms 24, 3 and 4, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity nor sworn deceitfully. Clean hands, pure heart. Psalms 134 verse 2, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Listen, lifting your hands is not a Pentecostal thing. That's an Old Testament worship thing. It's throughout the scriptures. When we lift our hands as an act of surrender, We're saying I surrender, I surrender to you, I surrender to your will, I surrender who I am, I surrender my agenda, I surrender my hopes, and and I surrender my dreams, I surrender my fears, I surrender everything about me, I surrender it to you. So when we lift our hands, that's not just a, a form of worship, that is an act of surrender to God. That's what worship's all about, by the way. Worship's not about me feeling better. Worship's about surrendering my life and committing my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. God desires a holy people with clean hands. First Peter 1 Peter 1:15 says, "But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct." In 1 Timothy 2:8, we're encouraged to lift up holy hands. So our hands therefore must be holy. My question today is, do we have clean hands? Is our heart pure before God? I didn't say, are we perfect? I said, is our heart pure before God? God moves in a sincere heart that comes to him as they are. And he's calling us this morning to lay aside every weight, every hindrance, and put off the old man and put on the new man. Look at Ephesians 4, 24. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. He's out of the grave, but his hands and his feet are bound. Today, God wants to free our hands so we can worship him. He wants to free our feet, and we sang about it earlier. Here I am, Lord, send me, I'll go. You say, well, I can't go to the foreign field. God's not calling you to the foreign field. He's calling you to your neighbor. He's calling you to your family. He's calling you to this community. And as we were singing that, we were singing that saying, Lord, here am I, send me. God, free our feet that we may go. Free our feet that we may be witnesses to you in this world that's lost and without hope. But I want you to know, secondly, he's wearing grave clothes. Who wears burial clothes? Dead people. I've not come this morning to preach a funeral. I preach a funeral here Friday. Funerals have their place. But I can come this morning to have a, a service over a burial. I've come this morning to preach a message of resurrection, a message of hope. You can be free from the garments of death. What are the grave clothes? They there anything that puts you into bondage? Anything that puts you into bondage to the past, to the flesh, to sin, or the world is an idol. Idolatry. It's an idol. What's the Bible say about the idols? You say, well, that's in the Old Testament. Well, let me give you some New Testament. 1 John 2, 1. My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. John 8, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. We've been liberated from slavery. We are rescued from captivity by the blood of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 3, 17, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. In Romans 6, 1, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. That, in the Greek, that says it this way. Away with such a notion. What is the Lord saying to us? He's saying you can be free from every bondage. This idea that I'm, you know, people say, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Well, you can live in that kind of poverty mentality if you want to, but I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Come on, somebody. I was a sinner, but now I've been transformed by the power of God. I'm not just some sinner just barely getting along and going along. My Bible says in Romans 6, 14, sin shall not have dominion over you. Come on, we don't have to live under sin's thumbnail. That's sanctification. We don't preach that much anymore. But I've come to tell you it still works. It's true. It's in the Bible. And I believe it. And I'm going to preach it as long as I have breath. These words are true. And I believe they are. Then why do so many live in bondage? Because the thing we're in bondage to becomes an idol in our life. The apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14, to flee from idolatry. John, the beloved apostle, said in 1 John 5, 21, little children, keep yourself from idols. Jesus died so that we can be free from sin. We can live in complete freedom. Too many in our bondage, in our ranks are in bondage, and some are in bondage to fear, 2 Timothy 1, 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Many are in bondage to their flesh, we're controlled by our lust, our appetites, and our habits. You see, the Christian life is a disciplined life. Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow him. Cross is not some beautiful emblem that we put on a steeple in the front of the church or we wear around our neck. The cross is an instrument of death. Disciplined life. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, 27. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means where I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. I remember when the Lord began to deal with me about going into ministry. I looked at many that had gone out into ministry, and I watched how their lives—they had become castaways. They were just kind of wounded warriors on the side of the road. They just gotten out into battle and gotten wounded. And there were so many. And I just—that was one of the things that became almost a fear to me. I said, "Lord, I don't want to get started in this thing and be a castaway." But I found out you don't have to be. If I keep under my body and bring it into subjection lest that by any means when I preach to others I myself should be a castaway it costs something to live for God you say well today's Pentecost Sunday you should be preaching about Pentecost come back on June the 9th and I will but this is the key to getting to Pentecost see the Christian life is a life where I have to discipline myself I can't go everywhere that everybody else goes I can't do the things that everybody else does I'm not trying to preach my convictions on you, but I've come to tell you that you have to live a life of principle and a life of discipline. You have to bring this body under subjection. You have to, you have to bring your mind under subjection. You, you, have to, you have to surrender yourself to the Lord. You have to, and listen, you have to continually surrender your will to the Lord. If I give in to the appetites and the temptations and the tests that come my way, I would be a castaway. But how do you do that? You live a disciplined life. That means I have to spend time in his word. I have to spend time in prayer. I have to get in his presence. I have to be renewed. Listen, if you serve the Lord any length of time, you will go through series of renewals in your life. There was an initial outpouring in Acts 2, but if you notice over in Acts 4, the Bible said that the Spirit of God came and touched them again. These were same people that were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. What was happening? They were getting refilled with the Holy Spirit. You say, why do we need a refilling? Because we leak. Too many are bound by the past. Maybe harboring unforgiveness, bitterness, or anger from an instant from the past. But the word of the Lord to you today is Philippians 3.13. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth under those things which are before. We can't de- change our past, but we can determine our future. Unforgiveness will keep you from receiving the blessings of God. Let go and get free from that yoke of bondage. It's time this morning to put off the grave clothes. Well, God wants to make an exchange with you. How many of you like to get new clothes? We make an exchange. God wants to make an exchange. He wants to take the grave clothes of death and he wants to give you the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Isaiah 61.3, put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Now let me finish this thing up and let me get to the point where I want to go. He's bound hand and foot. He's wearing grave clothes. But third, the Bible said there in verse 43 and 44, it said that he he had a napkin or a cloth about his head. A cloth about his head. That cloth was the tallit or the prayer shawl. The prayer shawl would have been wrapped around his head in death because it was believed to be the place where the Holy Spirit came. Temple, this area is where they believe he would come to resurrect them from the dead. So they would wrap the head in this cloth. When Jesus was buried, he would have been wrapped. When it said that they went in and they found the napkin folded in a certain way in his grave, that was his prayer shawl. That was the tallit that was folded. They were Jewish. They understood that. They knew that was his prayer shawl. That was what was folded. They would take it, and there's little fringed cords that come off of the end of it. The Bible says in Numbers it talks about having the twisted cord. That twisted cord is the name of God. It spells out the name of God. And it also represents the word of God to the Jewish people. They will learn the commandments and learn the principles. And then when they have their bar mitzvah at 13 years old, they will recite those and they will celebrate them coming to a place where they have reached that point and they're doing that. And that talit will be worn. If you see today the Orthodox Jew They don't wear it on the outside. They have it under their clothes, and they'll have this fringe garment, a little twisted cull that'll come out from their garment. That's their tallit, their prayer shawl. You see it in New York City and Baltimore and places where there's a large Jewish group. If you go to airports, when I was in Miami a few months ago in the airport, I watched as the Orthodox Jews would get on and off and they would come down and out their little prayer shawl, little tallit their seat seat they call it, was sticking out of that and it represents the name of God the unpronounceable, ineffable name of our Lord. When the woman with the issue of blood touched the hem of his garment she didn't grab his his cuff on his hager slack, she got hold of that little twisted cull, that prayer shawl she got hold of the name of God, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord my physician, she got hold of the covenant name of God. And this is what he's got wrapped around his head. He's got that to And they would take and they would cut off those twisted cords. And they would wrap that around his head in death. And there they believed is where he would come. And he would resurrect them from the dead. So he's wearing grave clothes. He's bound hand and foot. And there's a napkin or a cloth. A to A prayer shawl that's on his head. Now why is that important? Because that prayer shawl represents the word of God and the name of God it's a vital part of Judaism and what was meant to be life-giving and powerful had become nothing more than a form and a ritual if you go to Jerusalem today you'll see them praying at the wall and they're rocking back and forth crying out for the Messiah to come because they missed him when he came the first time that city's filled with religion in Jesus day that city was filled with religion Religion enslaves, it seeks to keep people in bondage. See, only the Spirit of God can give life. Tradition is a thief of power. Religious tradition ties the hands of God and it keeps people in bondage. We must have more than religion today, more than tradition. We must have the power and the anointing of a holy God in our life. If we refuse his dealings and we reject the conviction of the Holy Spirit to come clean to abandon our sins, then we will be in danger of being bound by religion. It is a form of godliness when God sends someone to preach and teach and to tell you the way and we harden our hearts and we just double down and say I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to tell you what happens. We produce a form of godliness that denies the power thereof and we're abiding in grave clothes. We're wearing that to lead on our head and we're saying God I'm going to do it my way and we're abiding in death but I've come this morning to say come forth. The cry of heaven today is loose him and let him go do you long to be free you can be free today i'm almost finished john 10:10 says the thief comes to steal kill and destroy the devil wants to keep you tied up in grave clothes he desires to keep you so he can rob you of true abiding joy john 16 24 jesus said Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full do you desire fullness of joy today are you tired of the grave clothes of death i have good news He has a garment unstained, unspotted, a garment of white, a garment of praise just for you. And here's what I hear. I hear a sound from heaven today saying, loose him, loose him and let him go free. High atop the U.S. Capitol Dome in Washington, D.C. stands a statue of a stately freedom lady, almost 20 feet high. Her face is framed by a crest of stars. A shield of stars and stripes are in her left hand. The sculptured freedom lady was brought from Rome during a fierce storm. Captain ordered some cargo overboard. The soldiers wanted to include the heavy statue, but the captain refused, shouting above the wind, No, never. We'll flounder before we throw freedom away. That statue stands on top of our capital, and it represents the freedom that we have in these United States of America. I've come to tell you that we have a greater freedom. That freedom was bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus at Calvary. Jesus didn't die so you could live a life of partial victory. Jesus died so you could live a life of complete victory, total victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. In 2 Peter, he says, we've been given exceedingly great and precious promises. He says, we're partakers of the divine nature of God. In Romans 8, he says we're heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ our Lord. What I'm trying to simply say to you today is, is that you don't have to wear grave clothes any longer because the Lord Jesus Christ is all we need.